94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. This is Byron Lazine with the One Team, along with Chaz Cook, Ryan Casey from One Team at William Ravis Real Estate. We've got PK in the house, Pat Kenny from Barnum Plans, and this is by far the best real estate and economic show on 94.9. Nothing comes close. We've been doing it for years, and we're glad to be back with you. Pat, I'm going to start with you here on this show because you you were dreading the conversation a little bit. You said, I, I don't know if I really want to get into it. There's so much doom and gloom. Everybody is upset. Everybody is like walking to the edge of the cliff and wondering if they're going to be pushed off of it or if they should just jump now. Pat, the Fed had a whole bunch of really straightforward messages in their talk this past week there was a couple that really stood out to me Mm. but i'll go to you first and what were your biggest takeaways i I was going to ask if you felt personally attacked with jerome powell targeting the housing market fairly aggressively he's someone who's done an amazing job in all of his time in office kind of walking a very fine line and he basically had some really strong words for uh your your folk there Byron Ryan, I just—it's—it uh, was actually pretty impressive to see him really target an industry like that uh, negatively. Which obviously, I'm not saying impressive in, in a positive manner. I don't think he's ever done something quite that uh, poignant before. To be honest, I mean, like I said, he's always kind of walked the line. But that was pretty. So fair. you agree with me that that was the most extreme messaging towards the? It's definitely towards housing because I'm always listening, you know, from that retrospect. That was the most extreme messaging towards housing that you've probably ever heard out of his mouth. I think it's the most extreme message, regardless of, of any industry in uh, in particular at all. I think like he he generally, like I said, his role, you know, as the, as the Fed chair is is to to give us guidance. But he purposely, and if you read the the notes that come out, you know, because. Right at two o'clock at the end of the FOMC meeting, they release the notes. Two thirty is his press conference. Every you know time they do they do the meetings, and so everybody has about twenty four minutes to digest as much data as possible quickly, right, and try to make kind of form your own opinions about it. And it's the first time he's really targeted a sector of the end of the market at all like that. Certainly this year, but I think in the last four or five years, he's always talked about broad markets as a whole. You know, he'll make reference to you know financial sectors every now and then because of lending rates, because of interest rates, obviously those kind of things. But actually, like a specific sector of the market like housing really isn't on their radar that often um and to to go out and say what he said i mean other than the jackson hole meeting where he, you know he actually used the word aggressive in his speech where he said we're going to we're going to aggressively target interest rates and inflation which is something that they don't usually say right he's a little more uh you know dovish kind of this time he kind of doubled down and and i'm very interested to see kind of what the fallout i feel like it's going to take some time to digest right we were only talking about a couple of days ago I don't know that the real estate market, the housing market, or even just the broader market has really digested what the Fed, not blaming housing, but really attributing a lot of this to housing uh, is going to do in the long run here. Yeah, they need a scapegoat. And it seems like the housing industry is going to be that for the Fed. I agree with you. I, I saw some you know, comments on TikTok, some morons on Instagram saying, oh, the Fed always talks about housing. This is nothing new. If anything, it is a one-sentence footnote when he has a talk like he had this week, when they have a meeting. It it is very small. 
you know, he'll, he'll talk about the broader markets for sure, but he, he rarely goes this deep and aggressive at housing. He went on a whole soliloquy that housing is going to have to be torn down before it gets better. I mean, and, you know, people were, you know, kind of matching up what number of, of uh, price declines that would mean. Would that mean 20%? Would that mean 30%? Of course, many markets have gone up 40%. So in my calculations, housing, you know, you're still going to be in a, in a gain if you, especially if you're locked into two and a half percent interest rate, don't, don't to Pat's, you know, what we were talking about before the show, don't go jumping off that cliff. You know, if you bought a house two years ago, you're locked into two and a half percent, three percent, three and a half percent interest, and you're still going to be up from where, from where you bought it. That's, you'll be fine. But yeah, he, he definitely went hard in the paint on the housing market. That also was my number one takeaway. Number two, Pat, he also mentioned something. He kind of slipped this one in there. <laughs> he, he talked about employment. And so obviously the, the difference and in, in the reason why there were some people arguing that we're not in a recession because employment is so strong, right? That was the big theme a couple of months ago. We're not in a recession because employment is so strong. That's the big difference here. You know, we have employment, uh, we have no unemployment issues and we have rising wages. Well, he mentioned employment and he said, now we're never going to say we don't want people to be working, but we will disrupt employment, meaning we will put people on the unemployment line if it means getting to 2% inflation. Given the choice, Jerome Powell said in plain English that we would rather see Americans be laid off than not get to 2% inflation. He would take inflation going down and more people losing their jobs than the reverse. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I think, so I think one of the things you're going to run into, you're going to have employment fallout at this point, right? Cause things are, like, if inflation starts to actually come back into something that resembles in, in control, but you're going to have it caused by the Fed. I, I, I don't know how they're going to do that. I, like, I heard that. Like, obviously, yeah, I read the notes. I read the actual takeaway. I, I don't understand. I don't know that I fully recognize if it's an action of theirs where there's a targeted game plan to do it or whether he's, simply saying i'm willing to accept the fallout of this happening because i don't understand like i am not smart enough by any means to understand how economic policy from the fed and an interest rate move will impact you hiring a new office staff member right other than costs which is inflation based which is the opposite of what they're doing right so like i haven't yet figured out i again i understand he's willing to accept it and you're right it's i think what's going to happen is we're going to see people driven out of jobs um, because, but I think because of inflation, I think because of cost of goods, I think because of people slowing down and consumer spending reducing and these margins starting to come back down again. And we're actually starting to go into a recession more than because of the Fed. Like, I don't understand again how he's going to directly impact that. It was just interesting. And that's why it's only my second takeaway that he went that far as to say, yeah, I'd rather people see people on the unemployment line than us not get to 2% inflation. To your point, I do see a clear path of how he is going to disrupt the housing market, of how he's going to take some of the gains on people's homes away. And that one's pretty clear. I mean, my prediction, 
You haven't heard this from Fannie Mae. You haven't heard it from Freddie Mac. You haven't heard it from anybody. We're going to break 7% interest loans this year. And if we start thinking about 8 and 9% and what that does, that's where you have massive disruption. 7%, I think, it, you know, you're going to see a lot of crickets this winter in terms of buyer demand, which kind of, you know, resets the balance of what we're dealing with, with, with low inventory. And that's how he's going to attack housing. We're going to talk more about how he's attacking and tearing down this economy, good or bad. And will it work when we come back? Real Estate Radio, 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. Radio 94.9 News Now, Stimulating Talk. Byron Lazine, along with Chaz Cook, Ryan Casey from the One Team at William Ravis Real Estate. We've got Pat Kenny, Barnum Plans, in the house. And we're going to take a little bit of break from Jerome Powell's messaging and what the Fed was talking about. We'll pick that up in the next segment because joining us here is Josh Miller, the race director of the Hartford Marathon. Josh, what's going on, brother? Ah, just having a great day, getting excited. We're uh, we're two weeks out from the from the twenty ninth running of the Eversource Hartford Marathon, uh, taking place October eighth. So two weeks to go. I got uh, we were just joking about my background noise. I got about twenty volunteers at my office here, uh, cleaning things, packaging things, getting ready for the big day. So, Josh, how long have you been the race director for the Hartford Marathon Foundation? Uh, I've been with the organization since 2010, um, and I've been in this role for the last few years. Um, and well, a lot changed as we all know, you know, during the pandemic, but yeah, the last two years I've been serving as the race director for this event. And, uh, we do outside the Eversource Hartford marathon. We do 30 other events throughout the year, uh, throughout Southern new England, um, smaller races, five K's triathlons, 10 K's half marathons. Uh, but this is our big marquee event coming up in two weeks that we're, so thrilled and excited to be, you know, to be back in the city, uh, city of Hartford. Um, and just, you know, plans are coming in place. Plans are really moving forward at this point. And so you have the marathon, the half marathon, the relay and the 5k, how many participants do you expect to bring into the city of Hartford? Uh, we expect just over 8,000 total runners, walkers, people participating in the races. Like you said, we have, the marathon, that's 26.2 miles. The half marathon, 13.1. The 5K, 3.1. And then you can do the race as a relay of up to up to five people. Um, there is registrations open. It's open until Friday night, the day before the race. Um, we, you know, last year was our first year back after, uh, after the pandemic and, and going virtual for the year 2020. Uh, we came back on a much smaller scale intentionally. And we're just so excited this year to really bring back uh, to, to full force. So encourage encourage people to sign up, uh, come spectate, come volunteer. I don't think anyone uh, on this show, except for maybe Chaz, can uh, jump into a marathon in two weeks. But uh, the 5K <laughs> wow. is... Wow, we'll see. I might, we'll see. I might be misspeaking. Um, no, but challenge accepted. Uh, I'm sorry, Josh. Josh, do you not see my electric skateboard? I can totally... There we go. There we go. Pat will be here uh, tomorrow with the boosted board yeah, ready okay. to run. Right. I love it. Seriously. I love it. So, I'm yeah, getting tired uh, just talking about the distances, by the way. <laughs> so, so, so am I. So am I. Uh, but but, you know, 8,000 plus runners uh, and walkers throughout all the races, uh, over 2,000 volunteers supporting the events. Um, you know, 
great, great community event. We're so excited uh, to to be back to be to be producing it and you know two weeks to go it's uh, we're in crunch time now so eight thousand runners two thousand volunteers approximately how many spectators i'm just trying to get a feel for how much of an impact or how many people that the hartford marathon foundation brings to the city of hartford over that 24 hours call it 48 hours friday and saturday tens of thousands of spectators come out that day our uh, we do an economic impact study on an annual basis. It, uh, it's continually over $10 million in economic impact to the, to the greater Hartford region just for this weekend. Wow. Um, you know, thousand hotel rooms, uh, restaurants. We have our packet pickup and expo that take place the Thursday and Friday, uh, the days prior to the marathon where all of these runners and walkers, uh, come into the city to pick up their items and get, get excited, go out, uh, grab something to eat, get, get something to drink, uh, walk around and, and be a part of the energy that, that, that's being created, um, for race day. And with 10, Oh, I'm sorry. Chaz may know this and I, and I apologize for kind of jumping, <laughs> jumping the gun here really quick. Josh, can you tell us a little kind of like what the foundation is and kind of does as, as a whole? I mean, obviously you organize races, that's fine, but there's a, there's a the drive behind it and kind of, I, I'm not really familiar with what you guys do. Sure. Yeah. So our organization is 29 years old. We're a nonprofit group, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And our mission is to create health and fitness activities for communities uh, to not only get yourself, your, yourself healthy and fit, but also drive economic impact in different communities. So um, we joke sometimes in a lot of what we do, we're the carrot at the end of the stick. Uh, you know, you, you yourself, if you want to get healthy and fit, need to put in the, the, the work and energy to, to get there. But we are that event at the end that, that we've created that you can, uh, come be celebrated and, and really look forward to, to being a part of that. So that, so that's one piece we do. Um, we, we, uh, through all of our events, we're a catalyst to raise funds for different charitable organizations. Uh, for this coming event, the Everstar Hartford Marathon, we have 18 official charities that will raise several hundred thousands of referencing is we do a fit kids in school program. So kids from grades four to eighth, fourth, eighth grade, uh, train, uh, during the week, running a half mile, walking a quarter mile, something of that nature for six weeks. And it all, uh, it all culminates with a big final mile event where we bring all these schools together. They run their last run or walk their last mile. They get celebrated. There's food and music and they get their, their big medal. And it's really just, you know, lighting that fire of, of, you know, running certainly, but just being involved in, in these healthy activities. And, uh, we're, we're super proud of those events and, uh, they're revamped coming out of the last couple of years. And we're excited for what, what the future holds for, for our youth running programs as well. That's super cool. I remember like being, you know, be your junior high and high school athlete, right? You're doing anything. It's funny how running was the punishment, right? Go take laps <laughs> when you screwed something up. So, but you guys like, you know, reframing that, I think as a, at a young age is actually really, really cool. I mean, I, I, I've never enjoyed distance running personally, but you know, it, I know that there's uh, plenty of people that it sounds like you guys are, are starting to build that seat a little earlier. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal for us is, uh, you know, really get, um, People involved, it, it doesn't have to be that punishment, like you just said. And that's been the joke for so many folks. And, you know, yeah, there's elite runners and, and we love everybody on the entire spectrum. But there's people that run uh, the four minute miles to people that walk 30 minute miles to people in wheelchairs or, or other disabilities that are coming out. They're training and they're just being involved in, you know, if you're at the finish line uh, in Hartford on, on, on October 8th in, in two weeks, there is the, the, the energy you feel, you can't describe it in words. And it's for runners and walkers alike, but just 
anybody come down to the city and just just be a part of it best best day of the year for us in, in the city of hartford i know i know others have some great days but certainly for us and you don't have to have like a qualifying time or anything like that right anybody could show up and do it Anybody can show up and do it. Uh, re- you do have to register. Uh, registration's open until uh, 9 p.m. The, the Friday prior. Uh, it's not open on race day. Uh, but, uh, yep, anybody can do it. You can decide, you know, Friday morning that you want to come out, uh, do your 5K. You know, by participating, you get an awesome T-shirt, a finisher medal, some delicious hot food. Of course, a beer garden afterwards. Uh, everyone over the age of 21 can enjoy an ice-cold beverage afterwards as well. So, it's it's a great day. It's a it's a great day to kick off fall. And I feel like having the registration open until nine p.m. the day before is like the perfect recipe for me and Bobby to go to happy hour and go. Oh, let's <laughs> won't do, do it. it. And then I'll do it. Let's, do it, let's do it. Yeah. And then the next morning at seven a.m. and the two of us are staring at each other, going, "What on earth did we agree to do?" I Drag tell you what, ourselves it, to the starting line. If Pat, if you and Bobby decide to jump in this race, I will buy your plane ticket up from Florida to watch you do it because I will be there for that, and I will be at the finish line screaming my head off for you. Yeah, but you probably have to be at work on Monday morning for me to run. 26.2 miles is a solid 72 hour event <laughs> that is not a day-long thing <laughs> no you do it as a relay you and bobby break it up come on it'll be fun it's like 13 and change each back come on yeah, yeah, bobby, yeah, I, do, I do actually have two different electric skateboards so we could easily do that <laughs> just both ride <laughs> so josh you mentioned you know the tens of thousands of people that are coming into the city of hartford and you know eight thousand runners across all the various events the Hartford Marathon has also been voted one of the greenest marathons in the country. How do you guys manage that on such a scale of, you know, tens of thousands of people? Uh, it's challenging for sure, but it's a big focus of ours. Um, we, in many years ago, were voted the greenest marathon in the country, and we've continued that that energy for as long as we can. We we installed on one of our event trailers, uh, has solar panels on it, and it powers certain areas on our uh, at our finish line. We eliminated all plastic water bottles uh, throughout the race course and, and at the finish line with some some pretty cool initiatives that we we instituted. Um, and we, you know, try and source as much of our food as locally as we can. You know, the hot food we're getting is is from our from our local restaurant that's that's cooking up hot soup for eight thousand people to, to, as they cross the finish line. Um, yeah, it, it's it's challenging to 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 keep keep that the focal point to to be sustainable and green, but it's, it's important to us. So that's, that's what we focus on wherever we can, um, improve. We do, um, with more recyclables, we have composting teams there that are sorting through, sorting through trash, uh, uh, from our friends over at Yukon, uh, their, their eco Husky team sorting through what's compostable and what's not trying to educate people, um, you know, on that front, some, some initiatives that, you know, we want, we as an organization want everybody to be focused on, but, if we can educate you, you know, along the way at our event, then then we'll certainly try and do that. So an electric skateboard would kind of fall under like that net zero area. We could sneak yeah, one of those. Yeah, that in. seems fine to me. That seems fine to me. I can I, pass I will out be carbon more. neutral runner. Car- <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, there you go. probably set some sort of a land speed record for the marathon. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Josh. Yeah. If people are interested, where where can they go again to uh, sign up? Website, per- in person. What are all the details? Somebody needs to know if they want to hit this marathon. Yeah. Hartfordmarathon.com has all the details on how to sign up, all the start times and where to, you know, how to register hartfordmarathon.com. Uh, if you want to sign up in person, uh, if you're in the, you know, Southern new England region, uh, Thursday from four to 7 PM at the Excel center in Hartford and Friday from 11 AM to 9 PM at the same location, the Excel center in Hartford. 
And race day is Saturday, October 8th, one, uh, two weeks, two weeks from today, uh, kicks off at 8 a.m. And you want to run, walk, volunteer, spectate, just be a part of it. We, we encourage all of that. And we'd love to see everybody out there, uh, in two weeks. I think we're three weeks, right? No, no, we're two weeks, two weeks weeks to the day, two weeks to the day. Yeah. All right, right. Well, there we go. Josh Miller, race director of the Hartford Marathon. Go check it out online, and you're doing something very nice for the community. Appreciate it, Josh. We'll see you guys right after this short break. Real Estate Radio 94.9 News Now, stimulating talk. News now stimulating talk. Byron Levine, Chaz Cook, Ryan Casey of the One Team at William Ravis Real Estate. We've got Pat Kenny, Barnum Plans. We're going to jump into the One Team Rewind for the week. Talk about our open houses before we get back into our big takeaways from Jerome Powell's messaging and what it all means for your housing market. But first, let's go into the One Team Rewind brought to you this week and every week by Service Station Equipment, your residential tanks specialist. If you've got an oil tank in need of some attention, you got one in the ground, needs to get taken out, they solve all your residential tank in need. Service Station Equipment is who you want to call. Martin McKinney, the boys and the girls over at Service Station have been serving this community for years, not only in the form of giving back, but also taking care of your residential tanking needs. Service station equipment is who you go to. Chaz, what do we got for the rewind, brother? We had another awesome week here for the one team. We had five new listings, 18 under contracts, and 16 closings. We are kicking off our new listings with 56R Mullen Hill Road in Waterford, Connecticut. This is a great little fixer-upper. It hit the market for $199,000. Where are you going to find a house in today's market for under $200,000? It's two beds, one bath, 764 square feet. Uh, great little property has just over a half an acre's worth of land. It does need a little TLC, but you can get in there and make it your own. And this was brought to the market by Mary Pula. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to mary.pula at ravis.com. Our next new listing was 11 Mill Road in East Lime, Connecticut. This one hit the market for $259,900. You've got four beds, one and a half baths, just under 1,200 square feet. It's a little bit of an antique house built in 1890. So it's a great little starter home in a quiet neighborhood. Beautiful Cape-style house, and that was brought to the market by Ann Carpenter. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to Ann. Our next new listing is 50 Caputo Road in North Brantford, Connecticut. This hit the market for $112,000. This is brought to the market by our land specialist, Ariel. Ariel's always got land all over the state of Connecticut. But this is an approved building lot, just under a half an acre. So for $112,000, you could buy a beautiful plot of land and build your dream home. You can reach out to Ariel at oneandcompany.com. 
Next up is 26 Chidsey Drive in North Brantford, Connecticut. This one was brought to the market by Victoria, and it hit the market for $299,000. Two beds, one bath, just over 900 square feet. It's got a huge outdoor uh, huge outdoor deck. It's almost the size of the house. It wraps around the entire back of it. So beautiful little spot there. Recently updated, new roof, new deck, new HVAC system. So you do not want to miss that opportunity. You can reach out to Victoria at oneincompany.com if you are interested in 26 Chidsey Drive in North Brantford, Connecticut. Connecticut. And our final new listing is 166 Old Brookfield Road, number 22C3 in Danbury, Connecticut. This was brought to the market by Alex Pepe. It hit the market for $345,000. You've got two beds, one and a half baths, just over 1,200 square feet. You're looking at HOAs about $369 a month, but this house is move-in ready. It needs nothing for you to do except to show up with a backpack and a toothbrush and move right in. So you can reach out to Alex at oneandcompany.com if you are interested in a condo in the Danbury area. Don't forget your toothbrushes. Now let's go with under contract. <laughs> These are the towns where we got properties under contract. Pogatok, which is basically that Rhode Island, Connecticut line, East Lime, Niantic, North Haven, 570 Whitney, I Will Always Love You in New Haven, Columbia, that's me, West Haven, Stratford, Hamden, Meriden, Southbury, 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 Say it three times. What is, what's the New York thing? Say it. Say it. Let's say it three times. You won't forget it. Yeah, something like that. Guilford, Cheshire, Stonington, Hamden, and guess where? Southbury. And these are the places, these towns that we closed. Congratulations to our buyers and sellers. We closed in New London, Waterford, Bridgeport, Madison, Newington, Coventry, East Haddam, New Haven, New Haven, Wallingford, West Haven, Naugatuck, North Haven, Middletown, New London, Wallingford, Hamden. All right, and we have one open house going on tomorrow, Sunday, September 25th, and that is at 60 Briarcliff Road in Hamden, Connecticut, and that is going on from 12 to 2 p.m. So if you're looking for a house in the Hamden area, you can head over to that one, which again is tomorrow, September 25th, at 60 Briarcliff Road in Hamden from 12 to 2 p.m. There you go. That's the one team rewind for the week brought to you by service station equipment, your residential tank specialist, the tank man, Martin. Martin, I need a hug from you the more I look at the news. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at all these headlines. I'm seeing Jerome Powell for the first time actually verbally assault the housing market. He has said he is going to basically single handedly, along with the uh, help of the Fed, tear down the housing market it's a game plan it's one that he says is going to get us back to a better place housing has been the scapegoat for many they didn't want to call the economy in a actual recession uh so they want to point the blame now at housing and listen housing it's certainly become unaffordable for many um but we can get into the the merits of what they're doing here. First, I'll give you a direct quote from Jerome Powell. When I re- say reset, I'm not looking at a particular specific set of data. What I'm really saying is that we're, we've had a time of red hat housing market over the country. Famously, houses were selling to the first buyer at 10% above even the asking price before seeing the house, that kind of thing. So there's a big imbalance between supply and demand. Houses were going up at unsustainable fast level. So the deceleration in housing prices that we're seeing should help bring prices more closely in line with rents and other housing market fundamentals. Uh, by the way, Jerome, rents are going to continue to go up. If people can't buy a house, what do you think landlords are going to do? 
They're going to jack them thing. Oh, you, you can't go anywhere. Yeah, here's a 10% increase. He says that's a good thing, though, because this is a direct quote after he talks about uh, coming in line with rents. That's a good thing. For the longer terms, we need supply and demand to get better aligned so that housing prices go up at a reasonable level and reasonable pace and people can afford houses again. I agree. We need more people to afford houses so that they can build wealth. I agree with that. We in the housing market probably have to go through a correction to get back to that place. Longer run issues with uh, with the housing market. It is difficult to find lots close enough to cities. So builders are having a hard enough time zoning. Well, builders are having a hard time, Jerome, because of the bureaucracy in our government not allowing them to get through the permitting process efficiently. That That's what's going on with builders. Um, materials, things like that. Okay, so here's the finishing line in this. Jerome Powell, quote, but from a business cycle standpoint, this difficult housing correction should put the housing market back into better balance. This is what he told reporters on Wednesday. He's saying in playing in English, this is going to be difficult. It's necessary. Ryan, what are you telling clients who have motivation to buy a house right now? Because we know that motivation drives most purchases. And if they've got questions, what does this all mean for me? Should I be buying? What are you telling your clients? Have good credit, because that's the only way you're going to be able to. Because right now, I mean, I was talking to one of the uh, loan officers, and they were telling us right now, you know, depending on what your credit is, you could be somewhere in the high six, or you might be past seven already if you have if you have bad credit. So, but what I've noticed is when this happened a couple you know months ago, where and I maybe this will happen is that you know people kind of freak out, the phone stop ringing a little bit. And then once it kind of settles down and people have a firm number of what the rates are looking like for them and they see their monthly payments, because that's what's all it's going to come to, right, is going to be the monthly payment. So I guess what I still do in this, because, I mean, I'm still showing houses. It's still very competitive, you know, even with the rates going up. So, I mean, right now I would still, if you're, if I have a buyer, my suggestion is let's still keep looking at the houses and then let's go over the numbers together because there's so many different scenarios that might happen. House is not, I mean, sometimes they go, they fly off the shelf for 40000 over, and then sometimes they sit for a weekend, and you're like, what? And you're very surprised. So it's more of a just still boots on the ground. Go check out these houses. Let's, and then if you like something, let's start feeling out the numbers. That's what I, that's, I, you, I don't think you can sit down with a notepad. I mean, you can and get numbers, but you still have to get out there. You have to get a feel what's going on. I think something too that you might want to start like and we can talk about a little more because it's going to take more than 90 seconds is kind of what the feds expected rates are right so the dot plot you guys have probably heard that i'm sure you know as, as every wednesday every time they do the fomc meetings the dot plot becomes this thing and it's the projection of where members of the federal reserve think the next hike should be kind of what they're expecting rates to be we started the year in the low threes in june our target year-end number was three seven five and they're now expecting that number to be four and a half, right, by year end. So so that's that's that, you know, we we talked to you know lots of people in the mortgage industry, Brian Fay, all this, that spread between that target number there and then what the borrowing rates are gonna be is fairly constant. So when you start to move those numbers up by three quarters or even a full percentage point, your seven percent is looking pretty attractive here at this point. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean I think seven percent is now just going to happen. Seven percent mortgage interest rate in the thirty-year fixed is, and and listen, none of us are mortgage lenders. 
what rate you can actually get depends on your personal qualifications, all of that. But I think the standard 30-year fixed rate going to 7% is baked in the cake. Now I'm starting to wonder, is 8 or 9 a possibility? We'll talk about that and more and how it may impact the overall markets with Pat when we come back. Real Estate Radio 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. Radio 94.9 News Now, stimulating talk. Byron Lazine, along with Chaz Cook and Ryan Casey from the one team at William Ravis Real Estate. We are the number one team in the state of Connecticut year to date, wire to wire. Most homes sold more than any other team in the state. If you need some help with your real estate needs right now, go over to oneandcompany.com, O-N-E-A-N-D, company, all spelled out, dot com. And connect with us today. We also have Pat Kenny from Barnum Plans. You can seek out Pat for some investment strategies and planning for your future today at BarnumPlans.com. B-A-R-N-U-M Plans.com. We're talking about Jerome Powell's direct messaging to the economy and more specifically to the housing market. He pointed out the housing market many times in his talk this past Wednesday and really is zeroing in on it and needing to, in his words, you know, correct the housing market in a substantial way so that we can get back to a more balanced place. They're going to do that, obviously, by continuing to jack up the federal interest rate. The 10-year Treasury is now at a, you know, a high in the last, I don't know, Pat, what's what's the 10-year at? The highest point since 2008, maybe? 2008, yeah. yeah the two 2008 years the on, the, on the 10-year? Yeah, two years highest and like 25 years or something. It's ridiculous. The 30-year fixed mortgage rate follows the 10-year more closely than it does what's going on with the federal interest rate. They both have an impact, but typically follows the 10-year, 10-year being at an all-time high. And all of a sudden you're seeing, or not an all-time, but highest since 2008. And now you're seeing this this mortgage interest rate now over 6% for the first time since 2008. I believe we'll be we'll be seeing it sit over seven percent, and eight and nine is now a real possibility. This really constricts the ability, especially with where home prices are at, for you know the average American to be able to buy a home. Okay, and so you know if, if that plays out, it may take six months for prices to fall twenty thirty percent. Say interest rates are at eight percent. It may take six months for sellers to say, okay, I'm willing to drop my price three to six months. And then before those start closing, you may see six to nine months of what I've been predicting for almost going on a year now, the cold war of real estate where nobody's doing anything. Sellers aren't selling because they're like, why would I sell? I've got equity. I've got a low interest rate. And here are the prices. Here are the comps. So I'm not going to sell for less. Buyers physically can't buy because the interest rates at seven or eight percent and so you just see transactions plummet 
which is what we've seen over the last 90 days. Right now, transactions are plummeting, but prices are continuing to go up. You play that out over six months, people that have that motivation, they've, some people need to make a move, need to make a real estate move. They need to sell, they need to buy, they just need to do it, right? And so those people that have motivation have a need, and we see it in every market where there's this this real motivation driving their real estate purchase or, or their real estate sale, and those sales will now become the new comps and could drop the price. But in the meantime, in that we were talking about it off air a little bit, in that maybe six to nine months where where a lot less is happening, do some of these financial institutions come up and, be, and are the ones that can scoop up the deals? What the Fed is doing by putting this interest rate up so high so quickly is it is eliminating that average American, that family, that average family from being able to potentially buy a home and start building wealth for them, start paying their mortgage instead of somebody else's. And then you start to see even more investors come in and buy up these homes and they're not selling them. So now they're continuing to hold this inventory, continuing to drive rents up, continuing to make more Americans renters for life, a renter nation, if you will. That's something that could happen. But Pat, you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously they're raising the interest rate for a reason to drive down inflation. We need inflation down. How does that all work? Well, see, so yeah, and I think that's the part, like I said, you know, I, I think a lot of us get stuck on uh, somewhere along the line, we were told and we learned that raising an interest rate helps combat inflation. But the actual like mechanics of that, I mean, it's literally an emergency break, right? The point is to purposely, by design, make lending and borrowing and money in general just cost more. As things cost more, we spend theoretically less, right? And as we start to spend less, demand goes down. As demand goes down, then prices have to come back. It's fairly simple in in theory, but as we've seen before, and it's the same, you know, it's it's the hot take I did, whatever it was, three, three months ago at this point about stop spending money on gas and, and those kind of things and everything as demand slows, it goes down again. That's mechanically what we're trying to do is is the, the core tenet of, of raising rates is to stop consumer consumption and spending so that we can then drive down demand. One of the problems that, you know, and again, we talked about it quickly off air that I think is silly about targeting the housing uh, in this market as, as, as a whole is it wasn't the the complete demand it's an utter lack of supply you guys don't have any houses to sell and if you think about it now one of the things that you just said a minute ago right so say you're a homeowner now who bought literally any time before 2022 and for whatever reason you need to make a move how many conversations are people having at their dinner table with their significant others or even with themselves going yeah but i'm at three and a quarter and if i get out of this house i can't move for less than six Anywhere I go, even though I, I, I'm going to make a boatload of money on my house, that's great. But the new, but like, why would you give up? Why would you give up that rate unless you have to? And if you have to, then you're you know up a creek because it's going to be so much more expensive. I mean, I think the stat that I saw was the people who had a two thousand dollar a month or twenty one hundred dollar a month payment at the beginning of the year in a three something percent mortgage rate were able to buy a six hundred thousand dollar house for twenty one hundred twenty two hundred dollars a month, whatever it was. That same payment now buys you like three ninety one or something. Right. So right. it's a it's a downward or a lateral move for the same amount of money. You may not be able to afford three thousand a month for a six hundred thousand dollar house as opposed to two. Right. So you, you've now stifled demand or, or supply again because people aren't going to move, and and that's just going to create further and further problems. I mean, again, the idea is to just make it expensive so that we slow down. But I think targeting the housing market directly is is I think 
is just wrong. I don't think it's I don't think it's accurate because it's not a, it's not an issue of oh we're just driving up prices because we can. No, you're driving up prices because nobody has a house to sell. Well, and you're you're attacking people's biggest financial asset, right? So you're you're putting that in jeopardy. So we know that the average homeowner has gained sixty four thousand dollars worth of equity in the last twelve months, and so now he's basically saying like we're coming after your equity. What what I didn't like about this specifically, I, I mean, taking the bias out, being in the industry, all that, is that he what he slipped in there. I mentioned it in segment one that if we have to, we will make sure people are in the unemployment line before we risk not getting inflation to 2%. Okay. If you're going to put people in the unemployment line by whatever means necessary, and then you're going to lower, you know, the value of their home, you know, almost overnight by 20 or 30%. When somebody's in the unemployment line, what do they do? They got to sell their house. So it's a house of cards falling down on some right. people that will find themselves in that situation. I just got laid off. Um, you know, I just need to make it through the next couple of years. You know, that's where people start going into survival mode. Let me make it through the next couple of years. Let me sell my house right now. I'll go rent something for a couple of years, get back on my feet, get another job, maybe work two part-time jobs, whatever I can do to make ends meet. And now they're selling their house at a discount. It's just like, they'll feel like everything is falling down on them. And Byron, that's what I was thinking too. Like when we're talking about the rates, we're always talking about the external stuff, but that's what Byron said. The unemployment thing is what's sticking with me because then it can stop to burn from the inside, mm-hmm. right? You're smoking people to get out. It's not so much, you know, like Pat was saying, well, how do you get people unemployed? How do you, I think you start to smoke them out, right? And you start to make it tougher and tougher and people have to go into a flight or uh, was a flight or fight survival mode. Right. And I think that is, now how do people get unemployed? I don't know, right? Like, how do you start? I mean, it seems like everywhere I still go, I see we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. Well, it's the type of jobs, right? Because now people have become so much more selective in what they want to do that they're not actually taking the opportunities that are in front of them. Right, yeah. Because the service industry is still desperate for help. We know that the construction industry is still desperate for, you know, the labor shortages there, and that's been impacting the amount that we can actually build, right? So, you know, I think... It to, it's going to be kind of like a rude awakening, but to your point, yeah, smoking people out from the inside is it's I think scary. That's, to think about that's that where it's kind of, I mean, the rates will always figure something out. There's always going to be people who have to buy or sell, but what happens when people can no longer do it? Yeah, I mean, with listen, with rates, everything moves hand in hand in tandem, right? So, like, you, you know, we always joked about how the '80s were outrageous because your mortgage was sixteen percent. Yeah, but your CD was paying you seventeen point three. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, like there there are there are financial benefits to the rates being up now. If you're someone who, for instance, is very conservative and likes to have um, money in Ally Bank, right, or SoFi, all these online, like you have savings accounts now that are paying north of three and a half percent. That's been unheard of for the last decade plus. That does you nothing compared to an eight and a half percent inflation number, but it looks like a positive thing, right? So I think, you know, having the target number, I mean, like, look at, just look at a, you know, you look at Prime, right? You look at the Prime borrowing rate. We were at three and a quarter percent in March. And we're at six and a quarter yesterday or two days ago. Mm-hmm. That's a three percent bump in prime. That's what banks are borrowing from each other at. That's what you know institutional lenders are borrowing at you know to each other uh, from. When, and when it comes to you know, I think a lot of Bobby you had asked a question earlier about you know are these big institutional buyers still going? Those guys are sitting on cash. Yeah, they don't borrow money to buy these things. They don't care at all. Um, you know, and, and so that continues to just suck up supply, um, because they can buy them. They don't care that six and a half percent mortgage rate doesn't matter to them. They're not borrowing the money. Pat, they have the money. Pat, really quick. I, we don't have too much time left. Is there like a psychological thing when, you know, when the economy changes, how long does the average human 
have to re- start to realize that the economy has sh- like right like let's say like the rates go up and people have been spending like crazy and they're going vacations amazon's at my house every other day like does it take like two months for someone to, or three months for someone to start to realize oh i can't afford for reality to set it as much as yeah. what i was doing yeah so there's there's actually there's, there's actually phenomenon there's two of them it's, and they, they meet and they hand in hand it's called the slope of hope and the wall of worry so a slope of hope is as things are going down you stay optimistic the entire time you're like oh this is going to be it's going to be okay you know this is good the, the economy going badly is okay because things are going to get cheaper and i'm going to be more for it's going to be great and then as you start to realize the bottom is like oh crap and you have that moment of realization where all of a sudden you start to f- compound the things we're talking about now, all the bad things you're starting to be aware of them going oh my god it's going to get too expensive i won't be able to move i won't be able to move my carpet and like so you build this like trench in the middle which is kind of i think where we are now we're kind of in that where people are starting to turn the corner a little and go Ooh, mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't as, yeah, I mean, think about our show from the beginning of the year. We were much more optimistic about a lot of the things, and now we're being a lot more real. I mean, not that we weren't realistic, but the data we have now is saying maybe it wasn't as, it's uh, not going to be as smooth as we thought. There, you can't find a bank from January that said 7% no. mortgage interest rates were a possibility, and here we are. Yep. All right. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you to Mike over at 94.9. Thank you, Bobby, for producing the show. Thank you for all of you listening in each and every single week. And uh, if you need any real estate, needs any help, go over to oneandcompany.com, O-N-E-A-N-D, company.com. We'll help you out there. If you want to talk to Pat, go to barnumplans.com. And listen, in 2012, when Connecticut Real Estate was at its bottom, that's when I became an agent. That's the best opportunity. When the weak are getting out, the strong get in and help more people than anybody. This is where you build the biggest business possible. If you want to take control of your life, become an agent. Go over to realestateagentscholarship.com, realestateagentscholarship.com. This is the market where you can make it. Real Estate Radio, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Martin. Love you. Yeah!